just a very, very short time now, a very, very short time to emphasize the power of simplicity. That it is in the simple that we find the beautiful. That we can very readily overthink and overanalyze rather than looking at outcome. Does this work? Does this make sense? Does this lift another's spirit? Does this bring me more into life or does it take me out of life? Yeah? So the, the, the support, the authenticity of aligning conduct with contemplation and aligning conduct with reflection, making a truly holy trinity, is a lifesaver for all, all of us. I was almost tempted to say almost all of us, but I'd actually say all of us because even if we called it something different. So how does this trinity come? We spend time in contemplative practices in order to know the mind better and to realize that its best is sometimes not good enough, that we can do better. We can witness what the mind is doing, what it's telling us, and when it doesn't any longer suit our level of maturity, we can <coughs> ask a question or try something different. We do not have to behave at this moment in our lives as we did a year ago or 25 years ago or 65 years ago. We do not. We can grow into ourselves. So that is one of the things that contemplation or contemplative practices gives us. It lets us know what the mind is. But within the theistic lineages, it gives us something else too. It gives us the actual experience of I am not alone. Well, it does not mean that you have to incorporate an image of spirit that conforms to other people's experiences. It can be much, much more subtle than that. Much, much more subtle than that. And even in the non-monotheistic uh, non traditions, like Buddhism is the prime example, there are constant visualizations of gods, goddesses, bodhisattvas, which are expressions of the mystery. It's, it's in a way inadequate language 
that tells us these traditions are theistic and those are not. The descriptions are different. And in a way that beautifully mirrors the variety of human mind at the same time unifying the need we have to be inspired. We have the need to be inspired. Um, Viktor Frankl, who's a great, great teacher, his book, Man's Search for Meaning, which arose out of his experiences in the death camps of the Second World War, when he was utterly despised and his family were put to death for the sin of being Jewish. Um, out of that, his rising was to point out that the desire for meaning is one of the most profound and life-preserving impulses of the human soul, which is not to say that those who died had any choice in the matter. It's only to say that his observation as a very careful psychoanalyst was to observe that in those who were still living, the feeling of living for something beyond oneself was literally life-saving. Living only for oneself is literally life-denying. So that also goes to our question about our, our social justices' impulses. They're actually life-giving. Um, and we're all, all very fortunate for them. Um, in this little book which I picked up, um, Henri Nouven, who was trying to renew his inner reality, spoke of the discipline of contemplative prayer from a Christian perspective. And he says this, and I thought it was very helpful, through contemplative prayer, because many of the teachers at the very moment, like Richard Raw or the teachers like Thomas Merton, are, are really tending to this relationship between the contemplative and the active. Actually, it's all action. It's a different mode. So this is very helpful. Through contemplative prayer, we can keep ourselves from being pulled from one urgent issue to another and wearing ourselves out, which is the antithesis of self-compassion, so that we more and more give from a, a place of the rescuer, which is not the place of the self. Yeah, We give it from more and more. That's why people say, oh, I have compassion fatigue. That's because they're thinking they're doing it all by themselves. Mm -hmm. You'd be fatigued in a day. Mm -hmm. Through contemplative prayer, we can keep ourselves from being pulled from one urgent issue to another and from becoming strangers to our own and God's heart. What a sentence. So in contemplative prayer or meditation or being or 
sitting under a tree or listening to something exquisite or holding another person's hand, we are returned to the heart. We've cut, yes, I'll say the whole sentence again because it's worth writing down. Through contemplative prayer, we can keep ourselves from being pulled from one urgent issue to another and from becoming strangers to our own and God's heart. I think we could also add it keeps us from becoming strangers to the heart of those people around us who are supporting us. Yeah? The third part, I'll leave this here and you can copy it down if you haven't got it down. The third part of what I think of as this trinity reflects very strongly on consciousness and conscience because it's reflection. So we have contemplation, the renewal of self, action, the so-called spending of self, and reflection on our skill, our skillfulness, where we need more resourcing, inwardly and outwardly, where we need more care, inwardly and outwardly, where we are reading with sufficient Subtlety, the gospel of the land, the gospel of the face, the gospel of the effect that we are causing. Yeah? And owning our power in it, owning our responsibility in it. Coming back to contemplation. None of these is separate from the other. Contemplation, action, reflection. That's what you've experienced on retreat. That's what gives you retreat. So this is also what you take home because this is the trinity that lives in the mind, the heart, the being, and the being at one with others, which is such a challenge. It's a vast challenge to be at one with ourselves. It's a vast challenge to be at one with one another and we are not alone. to read you two tiny stories and then we're going to finish our morning. In Matthew's Gospel there's a reference to the second mile where Christ is quoted as saying if someone forces you to walk a mile Go with him for two miles. At that time, any Roman could force any Jew. The Roman, of course, was the colonizer. The Jew was the colonized. Any Roman could have their...
class, gender, group, tribe, privilege, to insist on the inferiority of the other group, tribe, religion, whatever it was. In that instance, it was Romans and Jews. Yeah? They could insist that you carried their bag for them. So you might be you might be a very elderly Jewish person, you might be a very pregnant young Jewish woman, and you could be asked by a strapping Roman to carry his bag. It's unjust, isn't it? It's, it's disgusting. It's appalling. So why on earth is Jesus saying, carry it another mile? Well, it's so lovely because you do one thing because you should. You do the other because you can. And that's the lesson of freedom. You have outrage because you should. You work with your outrage skillfully because you can and because it is the passion of your conviction that each of us has a life worth living. I give some really examples of walking the second mile. And um, it's at the very heart of freedom. And it's in choosing happiness because our acts of happiness truly reflect our awareness of freedom. And here's an example from another book altogether. And I'm reading it to you now because um, <coughs> it's the mo one of the most humble stories I've ever written and it seems to me that it's one of the most favourite stories that I've ever written and it's very short. I don't think it's a favourite only because it's short. <laughs> <laughs> Though it might be. Uh, and it's in the section on generosity because all of these practices rely upon a conscious generosity of heart. Including it all, especially those parts of ourselves that we have not made so welcome. Hmm? All right, so here it is. It's up to you to guess whether or not it's autobiographical. <laughs> I put my hands into the sink. It is filled with greasy dishes. It's late. I'm tired. In the course of a lifetime, haven't I already done more than my share of dishes? I would like to be in bed reading. If only my children would help more. If I had been clearer and firmer about domestic obligations, they would want to be helping me. In 20 years' time, they will still be at home. I will still be doing their dishes, all because I have failed now. 
The light is poor above the sink, which is tucked into an obscure corner of the kitchen. I blame the architect for that. <laughs> Only a man could fail to light a sink properly. <laughs> I can't see well enough to check the plates. My legs ache. My back aches. I feel round-shouldered and old. This is what my life, you know, my glorious life is about. <laughs> this is what my life has come to. Standing in the half-dark, by myself, muttering over a sink full of dishes. <laughs> I put my hands into the sink. Slowly, very slowly, I wash a plate clean. With great deliberation, I place it in the draining sink. I bring my attention to the next plate. I watch the plate and my hands moving to make it clean. When other thoughts intrude, I simply wipe the plate. Round and round, continuing to make it clean. Then the next plate... The saucepans are very greasy. I take a long time to clean them. This is my meditation. At the end of my meditation, I have much to thank Zen teacher Thich Nhat Hanh for, because it was he who taught me to meditate in this way. At the end of my meditation, I also have clean dishes. <laughs> Om Shanti. Thank <laughs> you.